Hi, I'm Willie Miller. Hi, I'm Seth Coe. I'm Kevin Mackey. Hello, I'm Jonathan Mackey. Hi, it's Grant Haggerty. Hi, I'm Cheryl Smith from the Wallery. I'm Azuma Nelson. I'm Gashini and you're listening to Not the Footage. Yes, you are indeed listening to another show of Not the Footy Show. And we've got two guests lined up for you today. And uh, really looking forward to hearing from both of those. We have Deb Roach, who is the treasurer of the Australian Pole Sports Federation. And then following her, we will have Christy Curl, who is a world record holder in pole sports uh, in the over 60s category. Anyway, I'm Ashley Morrison. I'm John Lee. Are you going to any disclosure going on there with the poll? What do you mean? What kind of disclosure do you want? Well, it, it, it might be that you have some sort of relationship with a, a highly rated <laughs> pole dancer. Well, yeah, my wife did participate in the Australian Pole Sports Federation competition in Penrith, which took place last weekend. Yeah, and uh, so that was fantastic. But it was very interesting, John, because we have talked on this show to pole dancers. We had Olivia Vivian the Olympic gymnast, yep. as a co-host for a period of time. She said she thought that pole dancing or was a sport rather than a dance. Um, it's interesting because Deb will talk about that in the interview that we've done. But, but also I think now that it is evolving more into a sport and they're trying to get into the Olympics. And now with the judging, it's very strict and there must be no sort of exotic moves or stuff like that. And I was at the championships, thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a long day. I think it's five and a half hours, but uh, that was really but good. You and there managed was to beat your way through it, didn't you? I did. Yeah, no, there was. There's a lot of talented people out there. I have oh, to yeah. say, you know. Um, if you weren't going to call it pole dancing, what would you call it? Yeah, well, dancing I, sort of fits it neatly, doesn't it? Well, it's called pole sports now. Oh, okay. Yeah, fair enough. Which I think is fair enough. Yeah, okay. Are you going to start us? Oh, I think we'll both have a crack at this one. Let's talk ashes, actually. Oh, God. <laughs> Let's talk ashes. <laughs> okay. First of all, we had baseball to start. You know, we've been hearing about baseball, and I've got to tell you, I thought it was a load of rubbish from the very moment I heard Bullocks. it. Yeah. And now, when they talk about baseball, it's only about batting. It's not a revolution in cricket. It might be a, a different approach to batting, but it ain't a revolution in cricket. They're not suddenly bowling all of their overs in a day. Are they? They're not suddenly racking out 90 overs. They're not suddenly taking catches. Yeah, or ripping through teams. Or exhibiting a brilliant fielding. It's not about... Baseball was just about a, a way of attacking the batting side of the game. So it's not this cricket revolution that everybody thinks. And just quietly, you know, Donald Bradman scored 300 in a day. I know he only did it once, but he did do it. He did score 200s in a day as well. He scored a lot of runs very, very quickly. Victor Trumper could score runs very quickly. Yeah. Charlie McCartney, who featured in the Channel 9 broadcast of the last test, he could score runs quickly. He's got his name twice on the honour board, one of those centuries he scored in the first session of play on the first day. This idea that cricket is a fast-scoring game is not new. Anybody remember Adam Gilchrist? Yeah, I mean, that's, it's not that long ago that but even Langer and Hayden, yeah. you know, were, were smashing them out. Michael Slater, even. If, if, if Australia didn't make four hundred in a day, there was a period there where people were going, "Well, they didn't. They weren't batting particularly well, were they?" I mean, this—it's absolute made-up stuff. 
And yeah. Well, there was. I don't know if you. Really annoying. I don't know if you read the Guardian much. I, I must. Admit, I really like a lot of their stuff. And Jonathan Liu, who writes for them, I thought he summed it up perfectly. And he wrote, "Perhaps it's too much of a simplification to say England play cricket as they would like it to be, while Australia play the game that actually exists." <laughs> well, Now, good. I think that's a really good summary of what was going on in those first few tests. Well, then I think the biggest takeout. From the first three tests, is that both teams have suffered from their own hubris, the baseball hubris, the、uh, oh, you know, we won that test. It feels like we won that game. All of that sort of talk. Well, you didn't. On. No, you didn't. Look、no. at the record books. Well, I think it was Pat Cummins, and、yeah. he summed it up perfectly. <laughs> Look, I couldn't agree with you more. I think the thing that I found, I was looking forward to this. I thought it was going to be a really great battle. Some people will say that it is. But to me, and you may call me a cricket purist or whatever, I think we've seen some really irresponsible, stupid batting by England and Australia. Yeah, but and a, a little、Aussies. bit from Australia, not as much,、no. I think. But then we've seen really bad and stupid bowling from both teams. Yeah, I mean the bowling has been, I think, of a calibre I've not witnessed in an Ashes series in my lifetime. Like in Ashes series, bowlers bowl to get batsmen out. They got to rip their stumps out the ground. They get them caught in the slips. They don't just bombard them with bouncers so that they can edge it over the keeper for four, or like Mark would smash it for six. I mean, there was a guy backing away to square leg. Probably Devon Malcolm's the only number eleven <laughs> that's backed away further than Mark would, and they couldn't even just ping one in at the stumps. Instead, they're putting it up around his waist so he can just lift it over the barrier. Stupid bowling. Oh, I would agree with you. I mean, the, the, the whole idea of the short ball, though, is a nerve you, batsman. Yeah, if you keep pinging them in short, they get used to it. Yeah, you want to bowl that short ball when he's not expecting it, or when you've just bowled, say, five right up at the stumps. It's brought them forward, you know. Yeah, I mean, the whole idea is to leave a batsman in doubt, make them wonder where it's going to go next, and should they come forward, should they go back? Is it going to be around their ears, or is it going to be coming down, you know, right at their toes? That's and it, when you're doing that against a good batsman, it's a test. When you do it against a nine ten jack, well, you should be getting a wicket really quickly. And if you remember when we had Sir Alex Bedser <laughs> on the show, <laughs> when、I、he、do. was alive, and that was one of your favourite interviews of all time. I mean, he was saying. I don't like seeing these fellas celebrating when they get nine ten jack out because you're supposed to get them out. <laughs> yeah, you're the bowler. Exactly, and I mean, Australia used to rip through. Brett Lee was probably the best at ripping through a tail, you know. And now they're letting. The, oh, I don't know. I've just been shaking my head at it. Well, I would have thought if you put all of your fielders out on the boundary, and you're coming in to bowl, and I'm the bowler, I'm thinking, you know what? This one's at their toes because the batsman sitting there, he knows where you're going to bowl it. But, but John, did you ever did you ever expect to see an Australian team put all their fielders out on the boundary like they have?、No. And that was another thing that I just thought in my lifetime I would never. That is not attacking a batsman. And I remember when Mike Brearley did that. Remember in a One Day International when he was captain over here,、um, and it, the crowd went mental and thought this was not the right thing to do. Wasn't that word the spirit of the game? But now we're seeing Australia do it, and I'm like, I never thought Australia would do that, and that broke my heart a little bit. I've got to be honest, because even though I still support England, I just thought I would never see that one of the most competitive cricket teams in the world, who always goes out to win, who always looks to take wickets, would do that. And it, I just thought it shows you 
where cricket's got to and how this stupid T20 format has butchered the whole game. And I think that's where, when you talk about the spirit of cricket, that's where T20 got rid of this. When T20 came in, the spirit of cricket went out the window because, as we talked about before, you saw batsmen trying to steal runs by backing up and the man-cadding came in, and we've talked about that on the show before. Okay, we'll skip over Robinson's sledge of Usman Khawaja and his, his comments and... Mate, if, if that's all you've got, jeez. Well, I mean, it's like, as well, they made a big thing in the media here. Again, it's like, you know, okay, so Bairstow says, see you smudge. Then when Bairstow gets that, they go, oh, great reprise from the Aussie cricketers when they said, see you, um, oh, no, no, Johnny. No. I mean, well, really witty. Oh, 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 yeah. oh, oh. That's exactly, that's the media for you, though. And I mean, you know. That, Do you have epic in the headline? Oh, God. And then, you know, the, the picture of Ben Stokes as a baby on the front of our paper here. Oh, and they thought that was hilarious. Oh, it, they called it hilarious. The hilarious West. West Australian front cover. I thought it was a game. They, they it, called themselves hilarious. And little do they know, you are probably the crappest newspaper I've read in... Well, I don't even read it, so I can't even say that. But they are certainly one of the most shocking newspapers in Australia, possibly the world. Oh, uh, that... I mean, it's not the first um, front page recently that I've looked at and thought, you people have... Who's their editor? He's well, lost the you plot. Isn't it? There's very few journalists left in the world. There's lots of journos, and they're a bunch of journos at the West, because oh, that, that front cover was just really... It was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. Now, and that was, went global, and it reflected on all of us here. Just because exactly what the Poms were doing is, in, is incredibly embarrassing as well, doesn't mean you have to lower yourself yeah. into the incredibly embarrassing pond. Now, Bearstow... <laughs> well, I think what fundamentally uh, defines the difference between Australian cricket and English cricket, or at all, not just test, but yep. uh, and this I'm basing this solely on the response to the Johnny Bairstow stumping incident, is that in an Australian dressing room, when Bairstow walked back into that dressing room, they would have let him throw the bat and rip his pads off or whatever. But the first, pretty much the first thing someone would have said to him is, what were you thinking, mate? Yeah. He would have been bagged for a long time by his teammates for what he did. Light-hearted and in a jesterly way, but he would have copped the bagging. What happens when he walks back into the England dressing room? Oh, you've been robbed. It's unfair. The spirit. Every kid from the age of 12 knows what the rules are in respect to the end of it. You wait. You wait. Well, I used to. You wait for the umpire to say over. He just took off and then. Well, to be fair, know. he did. He didn't actually just take off. He did tap his bat in the crease before he took off. In other and, words, and saying, I of, am not stealing a run here. Yeah, but this is part yeah, of the hubris. Oh, Johnny Bairstow's decided, so it's all good. Now, look, I'll, I'll tell you because people rang me up, obviously, because you know they think. Uh, and, and my view is this is he was outstumped, no argument, yep. can't be any argument. Would I have done the same in if I was the wicketkeeper in a match like that, in that situation? Yes, I probably would have, because it's all about winning the game, whether it's in the spirit of things. The only thing that I think that you have to look at there is, I don't think he was trying to steal a run. And I actually rang former Test cricketer and said, can you just tell me, when you're out there batting, 
and in that cauldron and the crowd is singing and all that, do you actually hear the umpire say over? And they said, no. And they said, I'll tell you something else. The umpires often don't even say it oh. at international and first-class cricket well, because they know. So that then but makes But what it you do do is wait until you see the fielding team. Yeah. You do do oh, that. Look, look I, I agree, but I think, I think there's actually a lot of things at fault, as there always is in incidents like this. It's never one simple interpretation. Here's one for you. Many years ago, park cricket, there's uh, Johnny out there at square leg doing his duty because we only have one umpire in the batting team, right? So yeah. I'm talking about a teammate here sitting there at square leg, and this guy goes to play some sort of weirdo cut shot thing, and the ball dribbles off his bat and sort of goes out to to point, and the bat the fielder takes a couple of steps and it dribbles out to you know it's not going yeah. fast. And the guy can take a couple of steps and wait for it to get to him. He picks it up, throws it back at the stumps. In the meantime, the batsman has played his shot and he's, re- oh, you know, throw your head back, oh, I yeah. didn't get that one, oh. Practices his shot. In steps the, out of his crease. Steps out of his crease. And he's standing there, only two or three inches, not far. The, the fielder wasn't even looking for a run out. The fielder's just picked up the ball, lobbed it yeah. back, keeper standing there, out. And I had to give him out. And he was furious at me. Oh, I wasn't trying to take it. Mate, you, the ball was in play. The, well, the ball hadn't... Well, I'll tell you one where it's probably not going to reflect very well on me as an individual. We were playing and there was a, a guy who opened the batting for this team and he'd suffered polio and therefore couldn't really run, uh, but he could bat and he was allowed a runner. The competition had always granted that he could have a runner from the minute he started his innings. Now, that's fine, no problem with that whatsoever, and he would field at first slip when he played for them because, you know, he couldn't run. But anyway, he, uh, we're bowling, he's, you know, got a good record with score runs regularly, had his runner. Now, if his runner's out of his crease and he's in his crease, you can stump him. That's what the laws of the yeah. game say. But he was batting out of his crease to me, and, yeah, his runner was out there. Anyway, and he hits one straight back at me, so I just picked it up and threw the stumps down. And, of course, he was out because he was batting out of his crease. And I was told, oh, that was a bit ungentlemanly. And I'm going, well, no, if he wants to bat and have a runner, then he stays in his crease. If he bats out of his crease, he's got to get back in there. Simple as that. Those are the laws of the game. We're not bending the rules any or the laws anymore. He's already allowed a runner from the word go. And, yeah, anyway, but I was really hammered for that. Okay, if it had been just a bloke with a dud hamstring. Who did the same thing? Oh, yeah, I would probably would ever, do the same. Would anybody have complained? Ah, the good point, yeah. Probably not. Because, again, they would have expected him to bat well, in his crease. We've done enough interviews and programs with uh, athletes with uh, diff- differing abilities. Yeah. Differing and abilities, I like that. I would, I would think that almost every one of them would hate the idea that they were given that an exception like that, if you know what I mean. Yeah, like, no, they no, won't be treated I'll, as equals. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm they playing should. the game and this is what... Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, John, I think that's enough of that. We should probably get on to our guests because, as I said, we do have two guests on this show. And uh, the first guest is Deb Roach, who I mentioned is the treasurer for the Australian Pole Sports Federation. Deb Roach, welcome to Not The Footy Show. Hi, thanks for having me. 
Well, uh, obviously very exciting because the Australian Pole Sports Federation Championships are about to get underway as we speak. I mean, I know that they will have taken place when this goes to air, but uh, I mean, can you tell us a little bit about the Australian Pole Sports Federation and what this competition coming up is all about? Yeah, absolutely. So the Australian Pole Sports Federation is a not-for-profit sports organisation that reports to the International Pole Sports Federation. Our championship is the only pathway for elite athletes in Australia in the pole and aerial sports to make it through to the World Pole and Aerial Championships. So it's really important for them to be able to have that pathway to be recognised as an elite athlete and have the chance to represent their country on an international platform. Um, also, we provide the national stage for amateurs uh, as well as semi-professionals and professional athletes to compete in their sports in their specific categories, but with an international recognised judging system. So our scoring system, I'm not sure if you've heard, is actually recognised by the International Olympic Committee. Oh, that's fantastic. No, I wasn't aware of that, so yeah. Um, so that's pretty exciting, and we, you know, there's... There's downsides to it for our competitors. We have to go through all the anti-doping and water certifications, and there's a lot of paperwork involved, but it's really terrific to be able to provide that platform for aerial athletes to compete in a traditional sporting context. Yes, yeah, so I mean, clearly the IOC then is recognising pole as a sport. Uh, I mean, is there hope, I presume there must be, that you want to be one day included in the Olympics? If breakdance can be in there, why can't pole? Yeah, 100%. That is the goal at, um, at some stage. The, the issue we're facing at the moment is we have international recognition, but to qualify in a lot of countries for national recognition as a sport, it needs to be very grassroots and to have that broad participation from childhood through the athlete development programs all the way through to elite and international. And polls kind of come from the other direction from the top down, that we've had all of these world-class athletes and that interest is trickling down um, to slowly creating bigger and bigger communities of pole and aerial athletes across all ages and, um, and abilities. Yeah, I mean, I, I, my wife is obviously involved in it, and I mean, the one thing I've noticed is it, it's probably still a fairly young sport in terms of that, but it seems to me that the more mature people have been taking it up and it's only now that a lot of juniors or young kids are beginning to get involved. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, like with, well, our, the world record holder and world champion Masters 60 plus pole sports athlete is actually Australian Christy Curl. So in the Masters and the, the mature athletes, yes, it is, it is definitely growing fast and widely adopted. However, we have a real big problem here in Australia with hatred towards children in pole sports particularly. Um, my studio with all of my instructors, we are all trained in child protection from the office of the Guardian and um, all hold working with children's checks, but we've actually had to discontinue our children's programs because of the amount of internet hate we get saying that we're running grooming programs for child sex rings and disgusting things like that, and it actually became really overwhelming and just too much to deal with. That's horrendous. I mean, yeah, I thought... it's really disgusting. Every time we, and even when people in the local community got excited about it because how much it helped their kids' confidence, if they would talk about it publicly, they'd receive death threats and all sorts of nastiness. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that is really sad because, I mean, I've, I've said this to a lot of people in that, you know, I've attended a lot of sporting events over my years, and pole is the most positive atmosphere I think I've ever experienced in any sporting environment. Like, you go there and every single athlete is cheered by every single fan, no matter the level of their performance, they are just encouraged, and it, it's just unlike anything I've experienced. Right, and that's why I fell in love with it, because I was born with a life-changing disability and really discouraged from participating in sport as a child. Like, I was kicked off the school netball team. I was told in dance that I was a broken line and aesthetically displeasing. So I'd received all of this discouragement in other athletic pursuits, but when I finally found pole, it was a completely different experience because I was not the only person in the room to find it challenging. Not only was I not the only person struggling to either climb or to, to perform these tricks and skills, I was nearly naked. You know, we're in, we're in little clothes to, so that we can grip to the pole surrounded by other women who are all equally vulnerable and exposed. And rather than criticizing and comparing ourselves, we're cheering for each other. Yeah. We're supporting each other through our struggles and egging each other on. It was, it was so, transformative for me and for my relationship with my body and my self-confidence and to hold that space so coming from a perspective of disability and working with um, stopgap dance in the UK for some time I came back and was able to find a studio that offered pole for all levels which is a studio I now own where the poles are color-coded. It's, it's a really sensory environment, which is great for people with um, autism or vision impairment to come to be able to navigate the space with so much different color and so much light control um, as well. So it really is an inclusive and wonderful sport, and to get that kind of negativity is, is I think it's really ill-deserved and ill-placed. It is, but focusing on, on the positive, I mean, you uh, have sort of only one arm, is fair to say, isn't it? It's sort of you've got, Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, I mean, I've watched a video of you. I mean, it's incredible what you can achieve with one arm, and, I mean, that, I would think, is inspiring enough for anybody. Yeah, look, I think there, there are definitely positives and negatives to it. I have... Uh, I mean, I'm not going to be too shy. I definitely know my way around a pole, and I'm, I'm pretty good. But for some people, it can be really encouraging, inspiring, and motivating. They can go, well, if she can do it with one arm, then I can do it too. But for some people who try it and realize how difficult it is, it can be also very equally discouraging because they go, oh, wow, she can do it with one arm, and I find it really hard. I must suck. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are hiding your light under a bushel a bit. I mean, what is it, three-time ultimate pole champion? Uh, yeah. So that's a, a pretty great achievement on the world stage. Yeah, I, I, was, um, I definitely found my passion and followed it to, you know, I just kept doing what made me happy. Now, we were talking about, obviously, this is Pole Sports Federation. It is now a sport, and is it, are we seeing it evolve from being a dance to a sport? I mean, we had Olivia Vivian, the Olympic gymnast, was a co-host on this show for a while, and oh, she wow. was saying she saw it as being a sport and not dance. So you had her sort of validation that <laughs> what you guys do is definitely sporting. And, I mean, in a sporting category, does it fall under gymnastics or is it going to be a separate, you know, event? Yeah, so it's definitely separate. So to answer the first part of that question, 
Poll is a lot of different things depending on the school that you go to, depending on the person, um, and it can also be depending on what you want from your day. So with poll, in this context of this competition, it is more gymnastics and sport than it is dance. But there are other pole competitions like, you know, Miss Pole Dance Australia where pole is clearly more dance than sport. It's very athletic dance, but it's still dance. It's dance with apparatus. So this is not dance. This is you are competing against what's called the code of points, which is very similar to gymnastics because there are certain elements that you have to achieve and perform, and you need to do them to the letter of the code in order to be awarded what their point value is. Now, that makes it very similar to gymnastics and also figure skating in terms of compulsory forms and technical bonuses. Yep. But in other competitions, it can be about stagecraft, fluidity. That is, that is not as important in our championship. Right. So, I mean, how difficult is it now when you think from a branding perspective because you've almost got those two, as you said there, there is the dance side and there is the sports side. Is, it, is, it gonna, is that the challenge you face, I suppose, to, to let people know that this is definitely the sporting side? Um, it is quite challenging. Yeah, yeah getting, helping people to get it, yes, branding it and marketing it um, for what it truly is, is incredibly difficult because especially in Australia, which is really the birthplace of pole as a, as a showgirl dance form, um, is it, they've, they've already got these preconceived notions and an acceptance of what it always has been. So what it can be in our sporting context is a really hard concept to get through. No, I, I can imagine that. And there are some people that just are so unaware of, of, again, as we touched on, the positivity and the whole community and, and what it brings to women. Yeah, well, it's women, men, people of all ages and abilities. I'm, I'm super excited that, you know, I, I know a girl here who's competing called Corinna Snook and she, she's a amputee with one leg um, who will be competing in Parapol. I wish we could open that up more. It's really important and really special to me. I just... I want it to grow, and that's one of the big drivers for my involvement is that I think that as a Paris sport, there is really a lot that can be done in in the pole space. Um, yeah, but this is the very first step. We're still in its infancy. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's great that it is so sort of inclusive for able-bodied para-athletes as well. And, I mean, it's, it's not ageist either, as you mentioned. No. Because, I mean, it's open to people of all age categories as well. Yeah, from 6 to 60. Well, over 60. We've got competitors over 70 this year, actually. Wow. <laughs> well, look, it's been fantastic catching up with you, Deb, and thank you so much for your time. And I'm going to be at the event, so I'm looking forward to it. And, uh, I oh, wish amazing. You very for it. That's such terrific news. I can't wait to see you and shake your hand. I can't, I'm really looking forward to Sunday. Now, look, thanks again and, and all the best. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Hi, I'm Seb Coe, and you're listening to Not The Footy Show. And that was Deb Roach from the Australian... 
whole sports federation. And uh, really, really sad, obviously, that you know children are missing out on this sport. But we'll discuss that after because we do have another guest coming up, someone who was mentioned in that interview with Deb, and that is Christy Curl, uh, who has competed in the World Championships and is only didn't take part in the Australian Pole Sports Federation Championships this year in Australia because she'd had a knee replacement. Christy Curl, welcome to Not The Footy Show. Hey, actually. Well, I've been looking forward to catching up with you because our previous guest, Deb Roach, was mentioning you, and several people have mentioned uh, how you're a big part of the Australian uh, Pole Sports Fe- Federation and uh, have been involved in it for a while. I mean, first of all, what's your background in, because I saw that you had a career in sport and sports science before you kind of got involved in pole. Yes, look, I've, look, I've, I've known since I was 11 that I wanted to be involved in sport. There was never a question. Yes, I, look, I've been a phys ed and sports teacher for almost 40 years. And you know, along the way, and prior to that, I, you know, I had a background in gymnastics and all sorts of, um, of team sports and, you know, lots of diving, lots of gym. And, yeah, that sort of led much later in life to wanting to try pole. Yeah, I mean, you, you would think with that, it's, it's, some would say that's a natural progression. But, uh, I mean, and what have you found when you got involved in it? Because I was saying to Deb how the one thing that amazes me is how supportive the pole community is of each other and how encouraging they are. Oh, look, I, I have never known anything like it. And I've played sport at all different levels, uh, you know, around the world as well as in Australia. And I have never known anything like pole, and it's any, any pole, it's not just pole sports or artistic, it's any pole, people will just support you, and I mean, I started at 49, and I started it, it was on my bucket list, and I was just wondering how on earth they kept themselves up on the pole, and it was for no other reason, and I fell in love with it and, you know, ended up buying my own pole and then, you know, on travels overseas, I would find pole studios and I still keep in contact with some of those people. I just, I just love it. I love the community. Now, I mean, there's one thing, obviously, taking it up and enjoying it and the community, but, I mean, obviously, at some point you decided, I want to be a bit competitive at this. When did that occur? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Look, down here, down here in Melbourne, which is where I, I started it, I, I found I had got to the limit of, of the, the skills, the elements. I wasn't a pole dancer, I knew that, and I had never aspired to be. But I was frustrated because I couldn't compete in pole dancing, and there was no other arena for me to to show where I was going and what I'd achieved. And so I just spent some time on Google and discovered the International Pole Sports Federation. And I just started having a look and realised there was a World Championships and I found out that another Australian had or was competing and I just followed it. And then I said, I remember watching, watching it live streamed out of London at two or three o'clock in the morning here, whatever time it was, and I made up my mind. I said, right, I am setting my goal 
to make it to the World Championships next year or to qualify for the World Championships. And that was in 2016. Well, you obviously did that. I mean, you've actually got a few world records to your name now. So you've gone beyond just competing. Yeah, yeah well, and no, I didn't. I had no idea that, that that would happen. But I guess just my background of, of sport and applying all the principles that I had used and, and I taught and... That really helped me to, to set achievable goals and just work gradually towards them, and, and that's worked for me. And, I mean, you did win world titles as well, didn't you, if I'm right? Yes, I've got three world titles. Just three, mm. you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, just three, just three. But, you know, all of them, it, it's a hot, it's just like, you know, there's a community. One of the, the world championships was during lockdown. And as you know, and everybody knows, Melbourne is the, was the most locked down city. And the only way I could train to find a studio to train was to go regional. And I ended up spending half my life in Ballarat being surrounded by a couple of, of people in a studio who made sure that their studio was available for me to be able to train. Thanks. And and film and film the whole the whole routine. So um, yeah, so I've, I've a lot of people to thank. I mean, it certainly feels as if it is gathering momentum as a sport now, and, and it's being taken a lot more seriously than probably it had been previously. Do you feel that now, since your involvement? I do. I do. I I think it's still very slow here in Australia, but. As in most countries around the world, it took a while to get going, but once it has gained that initial momentum, it just takes off. And, and I think I think we're just on the cusp of that. I mean, I know that you're very much involved in sort of promoting it to the athletes and all that. That's your sort of role with the Australian Sports uh, Australian Pole Sports Federation. But I was, it yep. was very disturbing to hear from Deb that. Um, when they're trying to get young people involved in it, that there's been this accusation that they're grooming, grooming them to be in some seedy oh, yeah. nightclub. And, I mean, that's really sad, but it's, but it's also obviously a very realistic hurdle that the sport has to get over. Yes, it, absolutely. And it, uh, it makes me sick when I, I have tried to initiate children's pole classes, you know, and and offered myself my time freely just to, to get kids from gyms, from gymnasiums into into pole because they'd be brilliant. And you just have the doors slammed in your face. Um, very sad. Yeah, mm. I mean, I, I find it kind of really strange sort of reaction because when you consider exactly as you're saying there, there's a lot of... Uh, people who were gymnasts that were maybe not going to make it in gymnastics and they go into diving. And then if I look back on my sort of childhood, I mean, we would be climbing poles everywhere we can. We'd be swinging off them. I mean, probably now you're not allowed to do that anyway in the world we live yeah, in. But, yeah. but it's just a natural thing for kids to do. They love to swing on a pole. Yes, oh, absolutely. And funnily enough, I have a pole. I, I, I run a, a farm and I have a pole in the shearing shed and it's really, it's just it's funny it's just a pole a beautiful blue 
lights colour pole in the sherry shed and the people when when shearer when people come in, it's almost a natural just to grab the pole and swing around it. Yeah, that's what you do. Exactly. Um, and yet you put that into a formal setting and people it's it's just getting over that that hurdle of it is not exotic. No, it, it, it doesn't have to be exotic. No, exactly. No, no. We've got the national championships coming up this weekend as we're speaking, and uh, I believe you were going to compete, but you're injured at the moment. Is that true? Yes, I, I had a complete knee knee replaced um, a couple of months ago, so I <laughs> sadly had to drop out. But um, um, definitely, I've, I've got my my music set, and I'm ready to go for next year. Well, we wish you a very speedy recovery, and thanks again for joining us, uh, and all the very best for the future. Thanks, Ashley, and thanks for your show. Hi, this is Ian Healy, and you're listening to This Is Not The Footy Show. Well, that was Christy Curl, the uh, former 60-plus uh, winner of the Australian Pole Sports Federation and also I found out what her world record was for, John. She accumulated the most points ever for her age category at the World Championships. She couldn't remember in the interview. I think she was being modest. But anyway, that's what she broke the world record for. Fantastic achievement. And as I said, I was at the championships in Penrith last weekend. Really loved it. And uh, I should give a big shout-out. I know we live in Western Australia, not normally parochial, but the Elite Pole Coaching, the team from there, uh, they actually came, they had five members in the team, came away with four gold and one silver. So fantastic wow. performance by all the girls involved in that. Tremendous effort. How do you reckon a, a, a 14-year-old Ashley Morrison would have gone on a pole? What do you mean? Uh, I mean, I know how a 60-year-old Ashley Morrison would go on a pole. I'm not 60 yet. I'm not okay. there yet. I don't know. I mean, I, at 13, I wasn't a bad... make poles that strong? Yeah, I like, wasn't that as big as I am now. <laughs> Back then, I was quite lithe. Oh, um, But, yeah, I used to do gymnastics, because I actually oh. I remember I was in a gymnastics display. It would have been when I was about 12, and we were. I remember we were meant to go hit the springboard, go on the bo- uh, horse, drop down, do a forward roll, and then kind of carry on. And it like was an my, adventure it, course or something. Yeah, it was kind of, it was fairly simple, but we were do, all doing it fairly quickly, you know, like yep. bang, 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 bang. And, and it was my birthday, and I actually wasn't concentrating. Oh, so no, I no. ran up, hit the um, springboard, yeah. did a somersault, landed, and then did a forward roll. And the coach went mental, because there was nobody there to catch me. And you can imagine, like, a 12 or 13-year-old just doing this somersault. And I didn't even realize what I'd done. And he's going mental at me. So I wasn't bad. I don't know if I'd have been any good on a pole, to be honest. I, was never, I never really liked shinning up the ropes and all that malarkey. Oh. So I'm not sure. Scared of heights. I don't like some heights. I don't like cliffs. Put it that way. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, how should we finish off today? Oh, look, I don't know. I, you I, had a couple of things. You I, I did. I mean, look, I, th- I have to say that I again we talk about people hyping stuff up, but the FIFA Women's World Cup is going to get underway soon, and boy, oh boy. And I'm not going to call them media because some of the people writing some total garbage. As, they don't deserve to be credited. It's nice media. to see that you know they're running ads and stuff, and they're trying to generate some excitement and interest. Yeah, I mean, the, the I thing... haven't had anybody just out of the blue say, "Oh, going to the women's world cup or anything." No, nor like me. That. I haven't had but nobody ask me either. 
Um, but just, I wanted to touch on, because if you remember in Qatar, at the Men's World Cup at the end of last year, there was a big thing about the armbands, oh, in yeah, that yeah. the captains wanted to wear armbands to support um, human rights or the um, gay community and whatever, because obviously it was banned in Qatar. Now, going back to a few podcasts ago when you were talking about you don't like the national team being sponsored by Subway. Subway Socceroos. Yeah, because, you know... Aren't they the Australian team? They no, are. But, but, the Subway Socceroos. But it's like, I've got an issue now, to be honest, because FIFA have done a bit of a backflip, and they've now said that there are the captains can wear a choice of eight armbands during the Women's World Cup, and they will be Unite for Inclusion, Unite for Indigenous Peoples, Unite for Gender Equality... Unite for Peace, Unite for Education, Unite um, Ending Violence Against Women, and Football is Joy, Peace, Love, Hope and Passion. Now, all of those I don't have a problem with. I think they're all fantastic causes. There's, you know, there are things that society would benefit from. But what I do have a problem with is somebody, and who knows who that person is, making a decision that the team that represents the country I live in is going out there and wearing that. And, and I just think, this is wrong, I'm sorry, I'm old-fashioned, yes, I'm grumpy, yes. I think a captain's armband should just be a captain's armband, leave it at that. They are not there to be promoting causes. Well, that, If they I mean, want to do it, see, do it in their private time. Your problem, Ashley, is that they make these causes, uh, they, the causes give them moral high ground. So you can't argue against it. Well, because did, uh, you'll be a misogynist, or you'll be a racist, or you'll be a something elseist. Oh, look, people can you'll accuse me of that. They can accuse me of that, but in the world that we live in today, isn't it what you identify as that counts? And so I do but not. Apparently, it is. So I do not identify as being a racist or a misogynist. So therefore, I'm okay. I can say these things. I identify as an astronaut. Give me a spacecraft. Well, you always are a bit of a space cadet. Yeah, well, there is that. But look, I. I you know, you can't you can't say any of those things are bad or don't agree. Well, maybe I don't have a pro- I don't, but I, I don't just know. think no, not not on a captain's armband, not in a game of football. It's about the game. It's about the contest between two teams, and we're getting distracted well, with all rep- these other you messages. You represent all of the views within your country, correct? Not just the views that you choose to. Yeah, and who makes that decision? I mean, do we have a poll where we can all vote, oh, this next game, which would you, armband would you like your captain to wear? And we can all go so on drive, online. Think again. <laughs> you know. I mean, there's a, there's a play, I, you know, I sort of get it, but I, I don't like it. The same way I don't like seeing sponsorship on national jerseys. Yep. I, 100% I, I with you. I really hate that. Um, Especially you know, if it's a brand continue. you don't approve of. Well, well, the Australian national team is sponsored by a multinational American corporation. Now, it just doesn't feel fast right. Fast food corporation. Yes. No, it's healthy. It's a healthy... It's healthy, but it's still fast. It's not, you know... Isn't fast food that you can get it quickly and go? That's the whole... Yeah, well, yes, I suppose. Um, yeah. I, I mean, there's, there's things there that, like... Do I open myself up to this? Uh, are, you, are, are you celebrating Pride Week? No, not particularly. Or well, why not? Well, I'm not gay. I I I don't celebrate. I don't have a bar mitzvah because I'm not Jewish. I don't do a lot of things because I'm. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and we're seeing this a lot actually because you know it's been. Nadoc. Got nothing against it. But it's been Nadoc this week, and everyone's going Happy Nadoc week, and you go. 
And then there's, happy NATO. And there's Reconciliation Week as well, isn't it? Yeah. Or a day or something. Oh, yeah, I know. But again, totally think they're good things to have. But is happy NATO Week really the right phrase? I it mean, should be. Because otherwise, the other side of the story, by not calling it Happy NAIDOC, by not saying Happy NAIDOC Week, is that somehow NAIDOC has a, a, a negative bag because of all the dodgy shit that happened in the just, past. What's wrong with just welcome to NAIDOC Week and learn as much as you can this week about the indigenous history of your country? Or as much as you need to know. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to be an expert in it. No, you don't, but learn some of the cultural So you don't things. have to know much at all. You just have to respect. Yeah. Respect doesn't require you to have any great knowledge. Does no. it necessarily? It's that's that's their thing over there. That's this thing here. And love to put things in boxes. Yeah. Don't know. Nah. We'll never know the answer to these questions. Actually. No, they're those like that. Ever, a long-lasting uh, question, isn't it? Like, how does the guy who drives the snow player get to work? Yeah. Well, you know, at least we've got content for the next three and a half thousand years. <laughs> Some people are on the fence, they think it's all over. See ya, we'll be back next week.